Diabetes Late Night. Man with a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale they say He was made of snow but the children know How he came to life one day There must have been some magic in that old silk cap they found But when they placed it on his head He began to dance around Frosty the snowman was alive as he could be And the children say he can laugh and play just the same as you and me. Come on. Wow. Welcome to the holiday edition of Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bennett. And tonight we're celebrating the holidays in a healthy way with musical inspiration from Harry Connick Jr. Uh, thank you for joining us and tuning in. And I want to take a minute right now to give a special shout out to all our fans in Tanzania who are listening. Uh, we recently found out that this podcast is one of the top 40 most popular podcasts in your country. And I just want you to know that my team and I would love to travel to Tanzania to present Diabetes Outreach with Dazzle and to, and to visit Africa's highest mountain, Mount Kilimanjaro, as well as the Serengeti. So uh, Tanzania, we want to come. And in the meantime, since we can't be there with you tonight, I just want to thank you again for joining us virtually, uh, bringing us into your home. And... Um, it's just so lovely to know that we have fans worldwide. And if you want to know where, uh, if you want to tell us where you're tuning in from, you could either visit Diva Bedek on Facebook or uh, Twitter, or you could email me at mrdivabedek at gmail.com. We'd love to give a shout out to all the fans around the world who are tuning in tonight. All right. Well, you know, the goal of this, as you know, in Tanzania is our podcast is here to inspire you to find strength, courage, and confidence and to take charge of your diabetes during the holiday season. And tonight we thought, with everything going on in the world, some big band music would be a great way to kind of jumpstart your holiday spirit. Now, uh, Harry Connick Jr. Is, uh, has released several Christmas albums. Tonight we're spotlighting Harry for the holidays, courtesy of Sony Music. This was his second Christmas album to come out, and it has some really inspired renditions uh, Frosty the Snowman, which you just heard, as well as Santa Claus Coming to Town, which we'll be playing later on. So if you want to get some Bourbon Street uh, dancing going on or uh, take a, a virtual trip to New Orleans, tonight's the night to do it during the holiday season with us. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but our musical inspiration started to play the keyboards at the age of three. By the age of five, he played the piano at his father's inauguration as a New Orleans district attorney. Before 10, he recorded his first studio album with a jazz band and, paid, and performed Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 3 with the New Orleans Symphony Orchestra. That's kind of incredible, right? 
Well, if you think he's incredible, then you're going to love my guest tonight because for this special holiday edition of Diabetes Late Night, uh, we have Patricia Addy Gentle joining us, Stan uh, Hadashel, Pendulum Glucose Controls, Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Orville Cotterman, and coming back, she hasn't been on the show for a while, but she's one of the most recognizable educators out there in social media. I had the pleasure of working with her at Diabetic Makeover Your Diabetes for several years. She's a best-selling author and released uh, Diabetes Meal Planning Made Easy. Hope Warshaw is joining us. Plus, we have Savita Williams and a mystery guest who will be joining us on this podcast tonight. And like I said, we're playing music all night long for Harry for the Holidays, courtesy of Sony Music. Before we go on, I just want to tell you to take a minute and check out 5 Equals 10 Men's Leisure and Underwear Merchandise. 5 Equals 10 is donating 10% of their company profits to Divabetic. Help us make the world a better place. Go to divabetic.org for more details. I have to tell you, I hosted a fashion show for them this past weekend virtually, and they have some uh, wonderful masks out there too. So definitely go to 5 Equals 10 and check out their merchandise, uh, unisex as well. So. Uh, lots of great stuff there to us knocking stuffers. All right, so Harry Connick Jr., actually, one of the songs from this album inspired an animated TV special for Christmas. It's called Happy Elf. And the song came to him when he was thinking how cool it would be to work in Santa's workshop. So here's Happy Elf, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Seven days a week, every week of the month, and every month of the year. He's got us making presents and I'm happy Every girl and boy gets their own kind of toy We like to fill them with joy We're working overtime to make them happy Then on Christmas Eve we jump on big red sleigh We don't miss a chimney on our jolly way we won't stop until every king gets a fill of Santa's brand of goodwill. The fill of spill and cheer just makes us happy. So if you've been good yourself, you might see the happy elf stop by your house and make you very happy. The happy elf. I'm the happy elf. I'm the happy elf and I just might stop on by. The happy elf, I'm the happy elf, I'm the happy elf, and I just might stop on by. Let's go. All right, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. Tonight we're taking a minute to spotlight Harry Connick Jr.'s happy, happy holiday music. And why is that? It's that time of year. Uh, you know, it's been a long year with COVID. And so uh, I think a lot of us are going through fatigue, so we want to play something happy to get you motivated. I know personally that I have been spending a lot of time alone, as I'm sure many of you are. So I wanted to uh, so thankful that you're tuning in tonight so I, we could be together. But, you know, uh, lonely, being lonely sometimes hurts, and there is definitely a negative impact on your diabetes wellness, if you look at spending time alone as a bad thing. Being alone doesn't have to be bad. In fact, experts say that time spent alone can even benefit our social relationships, improve our creativity, our confidence, and help us regulate our emotions so that we can better deal with adverse situations. 
Choosing to spend time alone and doing things by yourself could have mental, emotional, and social benefits. And the key to reaping those positive things is choosing that time to be alone and making the most of it. So many of us somehow confuse the idea of being alone with loneliness. And when you do that, that really prevents you from making the most of this time you spend alone. If you could just identify a moment and take a moment to recharge yourself in solitude and maybe reflect on things, you could handle negative emotions and experiences much better and avoid stress and burnout. You know, there's something really powerful, as we've talked about on this podcast before, about just saying no. And imagine when you're alone right now, you have the freedom of not having any pressure to do anything. You don't have the pressure to talk to anyone. And you don't have to have the pressure of making plans with other people. That actually could be pretty liberating. So instead of getting down, why not get diva and spend a little bit of time alone and take the opportunity to say, this is a time where I could give something to myself. And admit to yourself, you're your first choice. You're your favorite company. You're the one you want to spend time with. No, that's not easy with everyone listening because you have busy lives with busy families. But I just want to encourage you in this moment as we get to the end of the year that maybe it is time to spend a little time with yourself and work on, and talk to yourself in a very positive way. So with that, we're going to get on with the show, but we're going to play a little bit more music because uh, that was my reflection for the day, and now I want to hear some more Harry Connick Jr. And what's so interesting about this next song is it was written by Sammy Kahn and Jules Stein, and it was intentionally written for Frank Sinatra, who recorded it in 1954. And it was actually the B-side of his recording of White Christmas. So here's the Christmas Wall, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Frosted window panes, candles gleaming inside, painted candy canes on the tree. Santa's on his way, he's filled his sleigh with things, things for you and for me. It's that time of year. When the world falls in love, every song you hear seems to say, Merry Christmas, may your New Year dreams come true. And this song of mine, in three-quarter time, wishes you and yours the same thing too. definitely an album you want to put on your playlist. Again, it's Harry Connick Jr., Harry for the Holidays. There's so many great cuts. It was really hard to narrow down our choices today, and I love that one. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm Mr. Diabetic. You know, uh, one of the highlights for me this year was writing our mystery podcast called Kill Me, Madam, and a lot of people have written into us about that show because we were talking about gut health and you wanted more information on that topic. So tonight we're going to zero in on what researchers are learning about the impact of developing type 2 diabetes with the gut microbiome and provide a few action steps that people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes specifically, could take to improve their health of their, of their uh, gut microbiome and potentially improve their glucose control. How great is that? Uh, together, my first two guests have nearly 100 years in diabetes expertise combined. And if you were listening to our November podcast, you could think of the discovery of insulin was about 
100 years ago. Not that they are, but it's interesting to see that for the milestone. Uh, Dr. Orville Cotterman is the Chief Medical Officer for Pendulum Therapeutics, the manufacturer of the medical probiotic Pendulum Glucose Control for Type 2 Diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Cotterman. Well, thank Holderman. you. Thank you for having me. And our other guest is, uh, I've worked with her before. I'm so glad she could, uh, she's back. She's a well-known registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator, who's the author of several books published by the American Diabetes Association, including Diabetes Meal, Meal Planning Made Easy and Eat Out, Eat Well, How to Eat Healthy in Any Restaurant. Welcome back to the show, Hope Warshaw. How are you? Great to be here, Max. So glad to have you both on the show. You know, um, Dr. Kullerman, there is so much talk going on about this whole thing about our gut and, and the idea that most people in the diabetes community, when they think of an organ, probably think of their pancreas, right? But you're, there's a lot of research out there right now showing us that other parts of our body can affect the development of type 2 diabetes. Can you tell us uh, what organs may be involved? Sure. So it turns out that type 2 diabetes is a pretty complicated disease. So you can think of two general buckets. There's abnormalities of insulin secretion, which involves the pancreas. But then equally important or something more important is a, is a condition of insulin resistance in muscle and adipose tissue, which means that to get any, you know, insulin is a hormone that, you know, primarily controls glucose metabolism throughout the body. So if you are insulin resistant, you have to have much greater concentrations of insulin to achieve, you know, the same effect. Uh, so, you know, there are two, you know, major axes there. And then, you know, current research just keeps showing us that it gets, you know, to be more and more you know, complicated and is pointing to, you know, the, uh, the gut playing a, uh, you know, significant role. You know, in particular, you know, the collection of bacteria that reside within our you know, within our gut that makes up the gut microbiome. So, what kind of changes are they? Do you see in someone living with type two in their uh, gut microbiome that you would that you would identify? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the gut microbiome you know refers collectively to all of the microorganisms that are living. Uh, you know, within uh, the intestinal, uh, you know, tract. And, you know, um, you, know uh, you know, you indicated how long I've been, you know, in the field. So when I was in medical school, uh, you know, it was just, you know, no one thought about this as, as, as being important. But we now are understanding that the gut microbiome is actually another organ. And the way that works is that the gut microbiome, these, these bacteria that reside within the gut, particularly the, the colon, uh, ferment uh, or digest dietary fiber. And by digesting that dietary fiber, they produce molecules that are, that are called short-chain fatty acids. And one of those um, you know, fatty acids, butyrate, turns out to be very important uh, in terms of it provides nourishment for the lining of the, of the intestine. Uh, it stimulate some specialized cells within the lining of the intestines to secrete uh, a couple of uh, important hormones, GLP-1, which uh, over the last decade has become the basis of a whole new class of treatments uh, for type 2 diabetes. And then butyrate also communicates with the immune system. 
Uh, and in type 2 diabetes, what we have learned is that, um, you know, a number of the bacteria or the bacterial functions that are normally present, you know, either disappear completely or are present in significantly lower amounts. And in that setting... Can I ask a question? Uh, really, would you, with what I know... Uh, how would I know if my microbiome was off? And if I did know that, what would I be able to do about it? I mean, is that something my doctor would see, but I wouldn't know, or would there be symptoms of the, micro, of the gut microbiome being off? So there's, you know, uh, a lot of in, uh, interest in, you know, in gut health. So, you know, uh, symptoms that you may have, you know, that appear to be related to your GI tract that you don't have an explanation for may be related to an imbalance, you know, in your in your microbiome. We are just progressing to the point where there are now uh, two or three commercial assays that uh, allow you to provide a, a, a stool swab, and you will can get a report back as to uh, what uh, is is in your uh, you know gut microbiome. Second part of the question was as well. What is medical probiotic uh, pendulum glucose control? How would that help someone who might, like you said, go and have that um, a stool taken and realize that there there there's an imbalance going on in the in the microbiome? So pendulum glucose control, you know, was you know designed uh, to replenish the functions within the microbiome that. Uh, are reduced or have gone missing completely, uh, you know, in in patients with type two diabetes, and uh, you know, so we, if you will, designed this product specifically for patients with type two diabetes, and uh, after going through the development process uh, and uh, evaluating the product in patients with type two diabetes, we've demonstrated that use continual use of this. Uh, product over a period of 12 weeks, you know, results in an improvement in glucose control above and beyond what the patient was was uh, achieving you know, with uh, the medication that they were on. In this case, it was metformin. And how how do you? Um, I know we're going to be talking about fiber for the holidays in a little bit. What are you? Um, <laughs> How, how did you read this information, and, and what did you pull out about how this, how about pendulum glucose control and how it's helping people with type two? Sure. So, um, you know, like Orville, I've been around uh, diabetes for many years, and so it's been very interesting to sort of watch how um, we've learned so much more really about both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, but the evolution of knowledge with type 2 diabetes is, as Orville mentioned, well beyond, you know, this sort of pancreas and insulin and moving into this insulin resistance. And, um, I mean, there's now, including the gut microbiome, as Orville mentioned, it being an organ, we know that the liver is involved and kidneys are involved and the brain is involved. So it's really a disease that is multi-systems. And some of that knowledge has really come into play somewhat because of medication development. Uh, 
So, I mean, Orville mentioned um, this category of medications that are, um, you know, called GLP-1 receptor agonists. I mean, people know them um, by more more familiar names. Um, and so those really do work on um, on the gut. And, you know, and then we've got this whole category now of, drugs that are called SGLT2 inhibitors, and they work more on the kidney. So for me, this learning more and this evolution of how we help people manage what we also now know is a progressive disease. It doesn't, it doesn't stay still. And in order to manage it, over, that progression over time, you need to really progress your therapy. And Dr. Calderon, you've got like many years of working in endocrinology and you've been involved in many aspects of diabetes care, including clinical care, research, and work. How how are you seeing people react to this? And do you think in many ways this could be, um, obviously it's going to be a new, it's going to be a game changer for people. I'm just curious, how have people who you've treated reacted to using this, do they think it's easier than maybe traditional ways of, of managing your diabetes and your blood sugars? So, so the your product uh, you know, is administered twice a day as a, you know, as a capsule. Um, one of the things that patients you know, uh, like about it, you know, in addition to the fact that it you know, helps them improve their glucose control, is that it's a, quote, natural, you know, uh, product, namely these bacteria that I talked about that are in the formulation that makes up the product. Those are bacteria that have that are are known to have been living in the intestinal tract of human beings for centuries. So th- we're not dealing with you know some sort of a chemical like most of the drugs are, where you're putting something into the body that is a foreign substance, and therefore you. Uh, need to be concerned about potential, uh, you know, side effects. Uh, this is, you know, nat- these are natural substances that we're, that we're putting back in, and therefore the, the incidence of, uh, you know, side effects, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is much lower. Um, so that's attractive to a lot of, you know, patients, and there are, you know, some patients who feel so strongly about wanting to use a natural uh, you know, approach to managing their disease that uh, they would much prefer this over using a over using a drug. And would you use this uh, in addition to implementing other diabetes care uh, plan? You know, other other elements of diabetes care plans with this, or would this be uh, the best way and only way you would need to help kind of monitor your glucose levels and potentially lower them? Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, to be used, uh, you know, along with the patient's health care provider, you know, as part of an overall diabetes, you know, management uh, you know, program. Uh, you know, we've mentioned, you know, dietary fiber um, several times here already. Uh, you know, for years, those of us, in, you know, treating patients with diabetes have known that there are certain dietary recommendations that uh, seem to, you know, uh, uh, assist patients improve their glucose control. And it turns out that those recommendations are ones that uh, you know increase the intake of dietary fiber. So 
if we're putting the fiber back that the patients don't have the organisms, the bacteria to metabolize, you know, to metabolize the fiber, you know, we're sort of giving them half a loaf. You know, you need both the fiber to be replaced as well as the the microbes that you know metabolize the fiber into the helpful products. You know, many patients will find that they still need uh, you know to use you know additional uh, you know agents to help them control their disease. Hope mentioned that type two diabetes is a progressive disease, so it depends somewhat on where along the spectrum you know, uh, of disease progression the patients are. And how, um, Hope or, or Dr. Uh, Coulterman, how, do, how does metformin work into this? I mean, I know on the blogs and everything we read and a lot of our view, listeners as well as our blog readers are always commenting on how metformin kind of screws up their digestive tract and they've had a lot of issues around that. Is this, how does that work together with um, pendulum and glucose control? Orville, I'll let you take that. Hello? Hello? I think we lost him for a minute. So uh, okay. we're going well, to so take a quick break. And then uh, you want to you answer that question, Hope, or do you want to take a quick break and come right back and talk about it? Um, let's take a break, but, um, you know, I can certainly answer it when we come back. All right, perfect. And I know he's going to come back on the line in a minute. All right, so we're going to take a quick music break and uh, leave you hanging there, everybody. But we'll be right back. We're going to hear some more Harry Connick Jr. You know, uh, one of my favorite songs of all time in the holidays is Elvis. My parents and I went to Graceland. I've actually been twice to to Graceland twice, and so... I can't get past Christmas without a blue Christmas. So here is Harry Connick Jr.'s rendition of Blue Christmas, <laughs> courtesy of Music. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Baby, I'll be so blue thinking about Decorations of red On a green Christmas tree They won't mean a thing If you're not here with me I'll have a blue Christmas That's certain And when that blue heartache starts hurting You'll be doing all right With your Christmas and white But I have a Welcome back to 
Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and we're having a conversation with Pendulum Glucose Control Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Orville Coulterman. I can't get that out today. It's such an easy name. I'm sorry, Dr. Coulterman. And best-selling author, I like to think of her that way, but she's a nationally recognized certified diabetes educator as well as a registered dietitian, Hope Warshaw. At the end of our conversation, before we took that quick break, I was just asking what uh, if there were any adverse effects with metformin that so many people on our blog, as well as who listen to this podcast, are always talking about digestive issues, Dr. Coulterman, and using uh, pendulum glucose control. Yes, so um, first, just let me say that, you know, the study that we did added, you know, pendulum glucose control on top of metformin that the patients were using, and uh, that, that worked, you know, quite nicely. Metformin itself is a, is an interesting molecule. You know, this is a treatment that has been used for um, starting in Europe, I think, in 1957. But yet today, we don't fully understand you know how it works. As it relates to the microbiome, it does some things that are similar to what pendulum glucose control does. Uh, in fact, that was one of the reasons to study it on top of, top of metformin is to make sure that. Uh, our product could you know, go above and beyond what metformin was doing. And then there are other changes in the microbiome that, that metformin, uh, you know, induces that, you know, account for the GI side effects that, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, report with the uh, dominal cramping, discomfort, you know, increased gas, bloating, uh, you know, uh, you know, et cetera. And there are, some people who are working on an approach, a microbiome approach that may actually be able to address those uh, symptoms, for, you know, in that form of users. All right. Well, that's good advice. I'm glad. I'd like to get that information. And, you know, this whole topic came up because we were talking about it in our Diabetes Mystery Podcast, Tell Me Madam, and we talked about gut health and particularly hope. We were talking a little bit about gut health and how sugar substitutes may or may not affect it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm aware, and obviously some of your listeners are aware that there have been studies that have fed different low-calorie sweeteners to research animals, like rodents, for example, and there have been reports with impacts on gut health. And like sort of any studies related to low-calorie sweeteners, they tend to make the news and, uh, and take on a life of their own. Um, however, there's been a good bit of critique about the quality of some of these studies and their relevance to the amount of, the, of low-calorie sweeteners that people typically consume. So at this point, there's no conclusive evidence that the array of low-cal sweeteners negatively impact the human gut microbiome. And I think people with diabetes should feel very comfortable using whichever low-calorie sweetener they like that, you know, satisfies their sweet tooth, that satisfies their desire for sweet taste. And, you know, if people use low-calorie sweeteners um, to choose, and they have room, therefore, to choose some healthier foods that contain carbohydrate. Um, that are healthier and contain, you know, things like vegetables, fruit, whole grains that contain the dietary fibers that we're talking about people needing. 
Well, I want to talk to you about that because carbs get a bad name all over social media, <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, the holidays people think of keto Christmas, and you know, right now a lot of people are like totally going keto crazy because they want to get ready to uh, indulge. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what? amount of carbohydrates should we be having? Shouldn't we be eating any at all? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And you're someone I truly trust, and so I know, you know, I want our listeners to know how how well um, respected you are in the industry, that you've written two books for the American Diabetes Association. You talk about food all day long. Carbohydrates is something that is all over the media. What, do you, what can you tell us about that? So um, I'm really very much a supporter of people with diabetes eating healthy sources of carbohydrate. I think carbohydrate, foods containing carbohydrate have really gotten a bad rap over time. And I feel like I've lived through at least three, three iterations of, uh, you know, very low carb or somewhat low carb eating for people with diabetes. But what I think is important is that, you know, yes, it is the carbohydrate in foods that, in contrast to protein and fat, are other two macronutrients that are provide the calories in foods. It is carbohydrate that most raises blood glucose, but, and this is a very big but, what really has the greatest impact on a person with diabetes glucose levels is the amount of available insulin that they have at the ready in their body, whether that's insulin that they continue to produce in their pancreas, which is true for many people with type 2 diabetes in their early years of having diabetes, or um, having to take insulin via injections. That insulin needs to be there at the ready to process carbohydrates. And if it is, if someone can establish that balance, that they can keep their their glucose levels within desired targets. I mean, and you asked the general question, Max, like how much carbohydrate can people eat? You can't answer that with really one answer. Um, I, I think people, you know, if someone finds that no, it is easier... I love that advice because, you know, everyone's always trying to just go for the one-size-fits-all, and I want my listeners right. to yeah. know that as a health advocate, they have to. Everyone is, you know, we're all different, and that's why they need to talk to registered dietitians about what to put on their plate. And so uh, now you could continue, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think everyone's just looking for the magic number sometimes. That's right. And there isn't one. You know, I like to, people can't see me, but um, you know that I am about four foot ten. And um, I always, I recall the story of being, doing a, a talk in front of people with diabetes. And uh, the person who had invited me to come speak was about a six foot five endocrinologist. And um, someone asked, so how much carbohydrate should we be eating? <laughs> So I was able very, uh, very clearly to say, well, do you think Dr. X, I actually forget his name, um, needs the same amount of carbohydrate as I do? Um, And it was a very good illustration of the range. But beyond that, there's just no one specific amount of carbohydrate that everyone with diabetes should eat. There is no research to say that. 
Um, but I do believe, okay. and particularly learning more about the gut microbiome, is that people need to eat healthy sources of carbohydrates. And what foods are healthy sources of carbohydrate in but those that contain a good bit of fiber? And so that's your fruits and your vegetables and your, your whole grains and your legumes. But Hope, I want to say this. Like during the holidays, this is when we indulge. And I love registered dietitians who don't take things off my plate. They put them on my plate. So um, I want you to tell me five items of fiber I could put on my plate this holiday. Five items, like food filled with dietary fibers? Yeah, that you would say, Uh, these are great. These would be great to add on your plate. So definitely legumes. Um, I think they're, you know, beans and peas, I think they're extremely underutilized foods. And when you talk about inexpensive foods to prepare, they're a very inexpensive food to prepare. Um, okay. You know, maybe you make, you know, I'm thinking maybe it's too Thanksgiving-y, um, but I'm thinking of, you know, perhaps stuffing. Maybe you make it with, at least partially a whole grain bread. Um, thinking about sweet potatoes, you know, as long as you can figure out how not, to not add, you know, marshmallows and butter, et cetera, that you do um, perhaps simpler um, simpler presentation, but they're an extremely healthy food. Butternut squash, um, you know, you can certainly, there's a place maybe to use your low-calorie sweeteners and sweeten that up. Does that satisfy your taste buds, Max? <laughs> it absolutely did. <laughs> we put you in the hot seat and we loved it. And Dr. Calderon, your your hot seat question is, can you differentiate for me the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic? I, these terms are swirling around in the media, and I, for one, don't know the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic. Sure, it's an excellent question. and it's It's actually... You know, if you don't let people confuse you, pretty straightforward. And the, the prebiotic it actually refers to the, you know, to the fiber that feeds the microorganisms, in, you know, in the gut. And uh, the probiotic refers to the microorganisms, uh, you know, themselves. I got it. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Hope, and thank you, Dr. Calderman, for joining us tonight on Diabetes Late Night. Check out Pendulum Glucose Control. You're going to be back next month telling us more about this because gut health is a big term for us in 2021. I can't believe 2021. Wow. So thank you for joining us on Diabetes <laughs> Thank Night. goodness. Right, Max? Yeah, great. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we need Thanks. Bye. Take care. Yeah, I don't thanks. know if either one of you Harry met Sally, but that's where our – our musical inspiration, Harry Connick Jr., got his big break. He was first Grammy nomination award for best jazz male vocalist performance for that soundtrack from 1989. Good Lord, that's a long time ago. All right, I think it's time to hear one of my other favorites, Santa Claus Coming to Town, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. 
Santa Claus is coming to town. Checking in twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. But he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better not cry, better not pout I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town Yeah, come on, Jimmy All right, welcome back to Diaries Late Night I'm your host, Mr. Diva Benedict If that song put you in a good mood This new news is going to put you in good news in a good mood if you're a senior in Ohio, a high school senior in Ohio or Minnesota, and living with type 1 diabetes, because my next guest, uh, actually, I can't even say it because he's such, he and his family are such amazing diabetes uh, champions to me as advocates or on missions to save the lives of people with type 1 diabetes, that as bright as the lights are in New York City for the holidays, I feel this man's passion burns brighter. So please welcome back to the show, Dan Hadashel, how are you tonight? Thank you for joining us. Hi, Max. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the kind words, and hope everybody's well and safe in your world. Thank you, and and same to you. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about uh, this wonderful scholarship that is in in honor of your son as well as uh, another gentleman, Alex Smith, uh, that's available for high school seniors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, just a quick question: uh, Do you are you or do you know if your audience is familiar with the Alex Smith story? No, I was hoping we. I thought you would tell this first, and then we would talk about both Kevin and Alex. But if you want to talk about that first, that's fine with me. So tell us okay, a little Kevin, bit about Alex. Okay, as you know, for your audience, real quick, Kevin Kevin died because he could not get a prescription refill. Um, on his insulin uh, after it had supposedly um, uh, the um, prescription had expired. So he couldn't get it right away, and and he passed away, and there were state laws that could have prohibited this that were terrible, and as you know, we got those changed in probably two-thirds of the states across the country so far. The Alex Smith story is is another one. Alex was 26. Uh, Kevin and he were very similar, maybe maybe five, six years apart in age, but they were very similar. They worked in the, in the uh, bar and restaurant restaurants, and they were uh, they were hard workers. Well, Alex was 26 and opted out of his parents' insurance. So his mother and he were trying to find insurance coverage he could afford. And in the meantime, um, he was saving his money 
so that he could go get his prescription refilled. But in the meantime, he was um, uh, taking his insulin shots, not daily, but he was dosing them out. So consequently, before he could get his, his insulin, he died. So even, even if you're taking your insulin and you're not taking the full amount, it's, it's going to have a big effect on you. So the Smith family, and they had to fight harder than we did, they, they had some terrible issues with um, one side of the House and Senate in, in Minneapolis, but they finally got a bill passed in, in Minnesota uh, similar to Kevin's, but it's an emergency uh, insulin program. I don't know the um, intricacies of it, but uh, if you're interested, you can look up the Alex Smith uh, insulin bill and and read about it. And, Dan, I want to bring in our head educator, Patricia Eddie Gentle, who's a certified diabetes educator, just to talk about this uh since you brought it up about Alec and uh, Kevin's story, it's similar in a way, Patricia, because they're both men were living with type 1 diabetes, and both men in the stories in my research that I found out thought they were having the flu. And so, but it was far worse than that. They were both died of ketoacidosis, which may or Correct. not be familiar to our audience. So, what, uh, Patricia, what is ketoacidosis? Uh, hi, Max. Um, both were uh, were victims of diabetic ketoacidosis that's associated primarily in people with type 1 diabetes. Although it can happen in other types, we see it mainly in tri- in type 1 and it's triggered by um a lack of insulin, insulin insufficiency. So if you are not getting enough insulin in one case, you have a person who is cutting the dose, trying to prolong the availability of his insulin, and in the other case, he's denied insulin totally because the prescription has expired. And so uh, if, if the audience is not aware, a person with type 1 does not produce insulin at all. And so the only way that insulin is available is through injection or through some type of artificial um, way of of getting that insulin to them. So if they are denied the the right dose and there is no availability of insulin in the body to metabolize or to utilize the sugar that's being manufactured uh, by the foods they eat and just in general, then they are just uh, at a loss and, and death is imminent. So um, some of the symptoms that they may experience would be uh, because they don't have insulin, they're having high blood sugars. And so they're having some excessive thirst. They have frequent urination, nausea, vomiting, and that's why um, I, I don't remember. It may have been both, but one of them probably thought that they were having symptoms of flu because of those symptoms of the nausea and vomiting especially, I'm sure, weakness and fatigue or shortness of breath. And also you can have a fruity uh, smell to the breath because the pH of 
the body is changing. And so it's acidic. And without that insulin, the body goes into um, utilizing the muscular um, buildup rather than using the sugar that is available. So glucose is our fuel. Glucose that we get from carbohydrates is what we use for energy. And when the body is depleted of that glucose utilization, then it it has to get energy in some source because, as um, was stated, they were working. So these are working guys, young guys, and they, they are still trying to do their daily activities and do what they normally do, but they're too ill to do it. Well, I also want to say, Dan, I mean... Eminent's a good good, uh, description, but to take that just a step further, just so people really realize, we're talking days. Death can be within days. Absolutely. We should tell tell everyone uh, regarding your son, Kevin, it happened over the holidays. So I know, like... Uh, they just had a report about 50 million people were traveling through in, at Thanksgiving. Obviously, in these COVID times, it's a little bit, uh, things are much more difficult. So this is a really important warning to people right now who are living with diabetes who may or may not be traveling or who may be doing picking up extra shifts like Kevin was, that, you know, doctors may be hard to get in touch with, pharmacies better Correct. might be hard to get in touch with. Now is the time to plan ahead if you're planning and to travel through the holidays right. and going to and going uh, to ER you may and going to ER you may be put out in the hallway because of the covid patients right so uh it's a powerful story it's so powerful that i have to say uh before we talk about the scholarship for a minute cuz i'm excited about that that i was so you know we had you on for our annual Luther Vandross tribute podcast and the story just uh, meant so much to me that you were willing to share it that I'm writing our our next mystery podcast is going to involve a similar story, and we'll be able to shed more light on this and raise awareness for uh, this cause, Kevin's Law, and why it's so important for people not only to pre-plan, but it's so important for the laws to change, for people to get these life-saving medications in both these cases, Kevin and Alex. So now with that said, Dan, tell us a little bit about the um, scholarship program that's been set up in Kevin and Alex Smith's name for high school seniors who are in Ohio and Minnesota living with type 1 diabetes. Okay, a little, little bit of background. First of all, there's a diabetes camp east of Cleveland for children, Camp Ho Mita Coda. Uh, it's been around for a long time, and maybe four or five years ago, they ran into uh, money problems. A lot of money from donations from uh, companies were withdrawn, and they almost had to shut down. In fact, they may have shut down for a while. But due to um, parents who would not let this die, uh, and and Myrna Malinar is a very good friend of mine that that really is – probably the focus of of most of this. They got organizations involved, and they have the camp up and running. Uh, 
they are now referred to as it's on Facebook as Camp Time Kids, nonprofit organization. So out of that came another organization that's also on Facebook. It's called Be a Part of It. Now, Be a Part of It, in the description, uh, their challenge is to promote individual organizations and nonprofits to work together for a common goal. By working together, we send kids to diabetes camp, advocate, provide education, college scholarships, and emergency supplies. This is not just in Ohio. I recently found out this this is they go across the country and they'll go they'll help anybody anywhere. So um, I think I think Myrna was the big pusher in this, but I don't know because I don't know anybody else involved. But because of the work that uh, the Smith family did in uh, Minnesota. And the work we did uh, in Ohio to to try to to make life better, especially for for the kids, to make uh, insulin and supplies more easily accessible, and bring an awareness to to what this is all about. Uh, they came up with the. Uh, hang on, I'm looking at a couple different uh, pages here. They came up with the the two. Scholarships. One is the um, Kevin Howdy Shell uh, Scholarship in Ohio, and the other one is is obviously the Alex Smith uh, Scholarship in uh, Minneapolis. The it's already open. You may want to go to uh, be a part of it. To get more specific information, because I, I'm really, I was really not involved in this. I'm just trying to help promote it um, yeah. and get the word out. They already have 21 people, 21 seniors that in Ohio that have filed for this. It goes from now until January 31st, and then March 1st. Uh, they will make the announcement as, as to who gets it. Now, this can be done for four consecutive years, so it can it could amount to twenty thousand dollars. But it's it's uh, five thousand dollars, obviously, for each year for a full time student, and there's some other uh, requirements in there. And it's all it's all on the kids. They want to know they want to know the students. They want to know their dreams. They want to know their involvement. They want to know how much they know about Kevin's law or or Alex Smith law. Um, so when they send in the request for the package, they have a package that you request. Send it to beapartofit.t1d at gmail.com. But don't – they the, the – Students have to send it in. We don't want the parents sending it in or family members. They want they want the students because they they want to know how dedicated the students are uh, in this whole process. Well, so well, probably true. We'll be posting more of that information on our blog in the coming week. 
you know, uh, Dan, before we let you go, I, I would love to know how your family is doing. I mean, here we are. Uh, so many people are grieving, and I know from your own personal story, you can be with your son, and I feel like it, it, it's amplified across the country of so many people who can't be with their family members who they've lost because of COVID. What has this work meant to you, and, and what would you – I just I want to know how you've been working through the process because you're such a passionate advocate. How How is your family – what would you tell other families who might be uh, dealing with the loss of a loved one even though it's not related to, uh, per se, Kevin's story? I just uh, would love to get your feedback on that. Well, there's there's many, many things that surround that. One, one of them is people will tell you it's time to let it go. Well, there's no time limit on on sorrow, on on love, on missing a loved one. So deal with that in your own way. Don't let anybody tell you how you need to handle your grief for your for your, especially your your child. Uh we've we've been very strong in that and probably <laughs> probably ripped into a few people when they made those comments to us, but we said you know what? That's that's us. We, you can't tell us it's time to move on. Um, but it, it's interesting you ask because my daughter mentioned to me oh, it was several months ago, maybe at the beginning of the summer. He said, "She said, Dad, you've been doing this every day for six years since Kevin died." And I knew it was taking a toll. Um, you knew I had a. Um, a uh, Facebook page for his. I I had to close it down, or I would just keep going back to it. So I I, I closed it down. We've actually stepped back for the last six months, just for us um, to keep our own sanity. And and we we made did a lot of progress. So I, we've got over twenty states that have passed the law. COVID came along. The riots came along. The uh, politics and elections came along, and it seems like a, a lot of the work that we were doing was kind of in the background. And I said, you know what? It's just a good time, good time to step back. Uh, I help where I can. So if you if you call me, I'm not going to go away anywhere. But uh, we we had to get our lives back, and because um, the holidays are still, they don't get any better. There's that person missing at the Thanksgiving table, um, Christmas presents you don't buy. Um, so it's 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 rough, and you got you got to have somebody to lean on. And thank God we have three kids, other kids, and three grandchildren, and and they help us through that because we give them all the love we can. Um, our daughter, uh, Kevin's best friend. Uh, through all of this, uh, is getting married Sunday down here in Florida, and that's going to be a wonderful time. So we try to get back to living our lives as much as possible, and and um, we know we've made a difference, and we're we're going to continue to make a difference. But uh, you got to make time for yourself, and but don't ever let that person. Um, out of your heart, you can't. <laughs> it won't happen anyway. So anyway, no, I, we're 
we're dealing with it, and uh, it, it's been a good run, and and we're we're happy about all the work we've done. Still feel bad for all the people struggling. One quick comment I wanted to make before that, that and then we started on something else. On Kevin's law in many states, um, they took a lot of the governors took that to another level. They made it a COVID emergency type uh, issue. So if you go to the pharmacy and you run into a situation where, say, your expired uh, prescription, ask them if there's a an emergency law because they, under the COVID situation, they're allowed. The pharmacists are allowed to extend. Um, prescriptions without a doctor's they can't get a hold of the doctor and i don't think that's a well-known fact no i think that's great advice we'll definitely have a blog about that too well dan thank you so much for spending time with us you know we're picking up the torch and working with you next year around our mystery podcast and telling the story and hoping to promote more awareness yeah you made me smile when you sent me that information that was good (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad and, and just having you on the show inspires me. I, I lost my dad uh, right before Thanksgiving several years ago. He's always in my heart. So was Luther. So I appreciate you sharing all that advice to people out there who um, have lost someone or maybe they can't be together. So with that, Dan, our next song was made famous by Bing Crosby. It's for a top ten hit within 1943. The song was written to honor soldiers overseas who longed to be home for Christmas time. Here's I'll Be Home for Christmas, courtesy of Tony Music. Let's listen. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. And mistletoe And presents on the tree Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'm bringing in Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia. Thanks for being on the show again tonight. Hi, Max. It's good to be here. That Dan Hattershell um, gives such great advice for people who are grieving about, you know, uh, how people just tell you to push by it. You know, and there's so many people out there who are grieving for something right now. It could be a friend, a relative, it could be a person, it could be a job, it could be their apartment. I mean, you see the news out there. It could be the food in, uh, that they're feeding their family and just grieving for the life they had prior to March. I mean, I, I know you work with so many patients down in Atlanta. What, is that, what have you seen from a mental health standpoint with your patients and also with your own self and your own family? Um, people are really hurting now, and you see it. You've always seen that, but now it's just a little more prevalent than before. And so we still deal with it basically the same way, very careful, but you listen, and being a good listener 
has a lot to do with how you approach it because you listen for clues, you listen for the cues that they give you, um, and eventually if you, if they find that you're genuine, they feel that they can speak with you and you are sincere and genuine, then they usually will open up and they will tell you. You just have to listen to it where we're all, we say we're in this together, but we are, but there are different avenues that we travel. And so we may not be on the same road or the same wavelength. There are some, as you said, who may be struggling with housing. There are others who may be struggling with, you know, they just don't have a job. There's food insecurity. There are a lot of things. You know, I've spoken with people who have um, lost loved ones because of COVID, and maybe they are transitioned and not in their home that they are familiar and accustomed to being in. They may have what we are looking at now as a multi-generational type of situation. They had to move in with a relative, um, and they are not accustomed to having younger kids around, or they are accustomed to that, and now they don't have it. So the situations vary for each person, and every time you talk to someone, you have to listen. And eventually they will let you know exactly what's on their mind or what it is that bothers them the most. Usually that first thing that they say to you is a big clue as to where they are really suffering the most. I think that's really great advice, and I and right now we're all navigating a different kind of world, especially regarding our diabetes health. So tonight we thought we'd tackle three big topics that are going on in the world right now and get Patricia Addy Gentle's take on all three of them. So you and I agreed that we would talk about how to get the most out of virtual doctor's appointment. Should you, uh, what are the pros and cons to mail order or uh, picking up your prescriptions at the pharmacy? And then finally, just some good tips for traveling with diabetes if you're going to travel through the holidays. So let's start with virtual doctor's appointments because I know you do a lot of this uh, uh, tele-appointment. What, um, what are some of the pros and cons to that? Like what do you like about it? Um, the things that I like include being able to speak with someone and talk about health concerns without ever leaving home. Um, without leaving home means that you don't have to necessarily, or, or some people may even be at work, but you don't necessarily have to have an interruption in your day. Perhaps 30, 40 minutes on the telephone can be during your break time, or you can get permission if you're at work to, you know, spend that amount of time while you're doing your appointment, but you don't necessarily have to lose income if you are still employed. One of the biggies is that you don't have to subject yourself to sitting in a, a doctor's office, although um, a lot of the offices are now, once you uh, arrive, you call and you let them know that you're in your car and they will call you when it's time to come in, when they have a room for you, which is a very nice thing. But but being virtual means that you don't even have to enter the office where um, another sick person or someone else has been. 
And so it makes it a lot more safe and sanitary in that way. Um, a lot of people um, struggling right now when it comes to gas and money, so you don't have to pay to get there transportation-wise. Um, and, and then there are people who don't drive, so their public transportation are depending on uh, um what do you call it, like Uber or whatever, but one of those type of rides where it's not your personal vehicle. And so when that's the case, you're saving money. You don't have to pay for parking once you get to the office. And you definitely, um, you know, doing well for yourself with those aspects that I just named. And then on the con side, I assume, would be just the health disparity of not, um, not health, but just uh, the social economic of not having good Wi-Fi or a smartphone or a laptop or an iPad to even be able to do that, right? I mean, that would be the other part of not just not being able to pay for gas, but maybe you don't have Wi-Fi anymore or you had your cable, you know, anything shut off that you don't have access to that. Right, right. There are people who are living with the minimal necessities, and if they had to do anything or eliminate anything that they were ordinarily accustomed to, that may be one of the things that they no longer have. And so although some look at that as a luxury when it comes to a virtual appointment, it's necessary. And so... Um, you know, you may not be able to do a virtual appointment because of those things that you just mentioned. All right, so now let's move on. And just uh, since we were talking about this earlier, uh, pharmacy, going in person versus mail order pharmacy. I, I know this is a difficult time. Like you said, some people may not feel comfortable or safe going to the pharmacy. How do you feel about mail order pharmacy stuff? I know that Amazon is going to start now doing uh, prescriptions via the mail. Right, I heard that, and uh, I think that may be wonderful. Um, when it comes to mail order, there are a lot of insurance companies that give you a break if you do if you utilize the pharmacy that they have partnered with, and you're actually able to get a 90-day supply of your medication rather than the uh, customary 30-day supply. And so it's a cost savings to do it that way. Uh, however, when you are taking something like insulin, it might be a little more uh, scary to have your insulin shipped to you depending on where it's coming from, although I, I have had good success with um, people who use that form of, of shipment because they usually have it in um, a temperature-controlled type container so that it's not frozen once it arrives or it's not overheated during transport. And so, but those are some of the things that you do have to consider. And if you're taking something like insulin, insulin doesn't work if it's damaged. So once it gets to you, you need to know without a shadow of a doubt that that insulin is going to be safe for you to use it. So those are some of the things that you do have to look at as a pitfall when it comes to mail. And you also have to, be, like, you have to be aware that there might be a slight change with one manufacturer brand to another, going back to what you said earlier about uh, the far, the mail-order pharmacy might carry another brand than the one you're used to. I mean, I think this would go, would this go with oral medications as well, like switching from brand to generic, that some people might see a little bit of a different effect from one brand to the next? 
Yes, some people do. Some people are very, you know, highly sensitive to that type thing. And whereas uh, they were taking one brand and taking a certain uh, amount of units of insulin, it may not be unit for unit um, that they are able to transfer and, and transition to a, a different brand. And so they may find that they are more sensitive or less sensitive, and so they don't have the same type of blood sugar control. So that's a factor as so well. So what do you do when that happens? Who do you go to? Do I go to my doctor? Do I go to my pharmacist? Like I, I feel like we hear this a lot in DivaBetic on the virtual uh, outreach events, on people on Facebook, and even when we get messages after this show on the podcast. Who would you, if I felt like my insulin was different from what I was used to using, who do I talk to? Could I, I, would anyone fight for me to get my other brand back, or would I, would I talk to you and you would help figure out what dosage I should be now taking? Well, I think I would probably start with my doctor because they can write the prescription so that they can specify, you know, that this medication should be is brand specific and name the brand so that hopefully the pharmacist will um, honor that. Um, in some cases, it may be that it's just not on the formulary at that particular pharmacy, and so you aren't able to get it or you have to go through a lot of, changes in order to do that but uh with the right documentation so i'm not saying that if if you contact your pharmacy today and say this insulin is not working tomorrow you're going to be able to pick up or get shipped the brand that you normally use it may be a process it takes time i just went through that exact same thing with a person who it wasn't her insulin but it was her um medication for rheumatoid arthritis where the um, pharmacy, she changed um, insurance companies and the pharmacy that was the partnering pharmacy was not carrying the medication that she had been taking over the past 10 years or so and she didn't get the same efficacy. It just was not effective and we had to go through a lot. I mean, it took, in her case, I felt like we did good because it only took maybe 10 days. But in some cases, it's three or four months before you're able to make that um, change because they want you to try something and prove that it didn't um, work and to go through a lot of different things. So uh, that that just may be a bit of a challenge but most definitely, if it doesn't work for you, do whatever is necessary to get what you need. And I think the most important part of that is, if it is a challenge, know that you're not alone in the first one and to stay, continue to be a health advocate for yourself. Okay, so wrapping up, I'd love to get, um, you know, traveling with COVID and diabetes, the holidays, it's a scary thing. I know that we should be washing our hands, wearing a mask. What other things would you recommend to anyone, especially, we're not going to Tanzania yet, but if people are traveling <laughs> this holiday season, what, what, what's something that you think everyone should be mindful of? Well, first of all, the best thing to do to stay safe is to stay at home as much as possible. But, of course, if travel is necessary or you find it's something that you really just just can't wait to do the best thing, as you stated, washing hands, wearing masks. Uh, if you can't get to water, make sure you have plenty hand, san hand sanitizer 
And also, those that you're traveling with, make sure that you're within that six feet of distancing. Um, because if, if you're not, then you run a higher risk of getting infected or infecting somebody. And so if you're traveling, make sure that you check wherever it is, if you're going from state to state or even to another country, which is really not advisable, but make sure that you you check with those requirements in that place, uh, wherever your destination is, to make sure that you meet the requirements for traveling there because some places are, are requiring that. I know, uh, for instance, my husband is Jamaican, and he's had friends who have left and gone to Jamaica, and when they got there, the embassy uh, puts them in quarantine. And so they have to stay for 14 days without coming out of wherever. So, I mean, you know, you've got 14 days of a wasted trip where you really were not able to um, mingle or to talk with anyone or to meet with your loved ones. And so it's just best that you know ahead of time before you take that trip and go someplace and, and find yourself not even having a successful trip. So of course you're going to avoid touching the hand I mean touching the eyes and the mouth your face and try to avoid contact with those who you know for sure um you know are immune suppressed um and if you yourself are immune suppressed then it's really best not to travel I agree and I just want to tell people to try not to be the exception I just think if we all play by the rules and try not to be oh, I have to do it, then we're giving that opportunity to someone else so we can all stay safe. I know I myself didn't travel to see my mom this past weekend because I just thought in New York City, taking the subway, I'm at high risk. Well, stick around, Patricia, because I need your help solving one of the biggest mysteries at DivaBetic this year, if you could believe it, and you did mention Clue earlier. So, um, But before we get into the biggest mystery at DivaBetic this year, with a mystery guest, we wanted to play. I don't know if you know this song. Do you like Donny Hathaway, Patricia? Um, kind of, sort of. <laughs> oh, Lord, people. I love <laughs> Donny Hathaway, and he's celebrating the 50th anniversary of one of my favorite holiday classics. And this one is covered by uh, Harry Connick Jr. on his Harry for the Holidays album. But you should know that this song uh, just came out with a new animated video to celebrate its 50th anniversary. Here's this Christmas courtesy of Tony Music. Hang on the mistletoe. I'm gonna get to know you better This Christmas And as we trim the tree How much fun it's gonna be together well This Christmas The fireside is blazing bright We're caroling through the night And this Christmas Will be A very special Christmas For me
good evening to Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and uh, tonight we're spotlighting music by Harry Connick Jr., and as you uh, heard me mention to Patricia earlier, we're going to solve one of the biggest mysteries at Diva Bedick in 2020 right now, because we have been getting a lot of mail since our mystery podcast asking, who plays the part of Mama Rosemary? And many of you have written in and speculated that the star of that podcast um, is Sophia Loren. Some of you think it's Meryl Streep. Others have thought it was Halle Berry. And a few of you even thought it was RuPaul. So let's find out who it is. Is my mystery guest on the show right now? Hello, mystery guest. Are you there? Hello. Yes, I am. All right. Thank you for having me. Once and for all, tell us who you are and if you and I are related. Well, I am the mother of Mr. Diva Bedick, and we are very much related. <laughs> and, uh, and and people, and that was your chance, Mom, that we actually are blood-related. You are my actual mother. And yes. I remember when I was a, a young kid, you once told me that because you are uh, have darker hair and I have bright red hair, that some some teacher or someone didn't think you were actually my mother. Is that true? Yes, it was. I was a room mother one time when you were probably in second or third grade, and the other room mother said, oh, let me pick out your child. And she picked out a little dark-haired girl. Well, you know, I always wanted a girl, but that didn't happen. But anyhow, I said, no, 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 that little redhead boy is mine. Well, she was very surprised. But I had two redhead-headed boys in my life, and um, I was thrilled to have, that instead of the dark-haired little girl. And you just like you said, I have a few siblings, so, but I want to know, am I your favorite? <laughs> My favorite? Well, let me say, you're probably, yeah, one of ten. Ten of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Top ten? Mom, I only yeah. have three brothers. You're in my top ten. You could be in my top ten because guess what? You may have three brothers, but I also have three beautiful grandchildren, and I have two adorable great grandsons, and um, I think that adds up to ten, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Oh, it actually, like number nine. So how did you? How could I be possibly your top ten? Who's in front of me? Well, I also have. A beautiful grand, a, a daughter-in-law, who is amazing, and I am so pleased that she is part of our family. So that's my top. You are definitely in my top ten. Well, let's see. Maybe, hmm. Maybe it's the top twelve because let me add somebody else in there. My beautiful niece, Lynn, who is um, my oldest niece that I was born when I was 16 years old, so she's been in my life for many, many years. And um, I'm adding her to my favorites, too. So, <laughs> I don't understand this, Mom. This is, I'm right, you're, you're on my podcast, and I'm in the top 12 or 20. For, who's, all right, fine. I don't know. Let's not well, talk about this anymore. So it's about a little defeating no. in the holiday season. But no, no, no. On, you know that... My four sons are my favorite. <laughs> okay, move well, on. I do want, we, 
we do have a lot of fun on the annual mystery podcast. And I'm just wondering, like, have you enjoyed that experience? Because we've done about six or seven now. Oh, I've had so much fun doing it. It's been a pleasure. And I'm so uh, excited that you will always include me. Um, it's been great. Well, you know, you've been a really great sport about going along with some of my crazy scenarios, and I guess we should just run through a couple for people who haven't tuned in, but they're all, they are all available on demand. So uh, back on our second podcast, Phantom of the Okra, you dressed up as a ninja and tackled me in marijuana field somewhere in Virginia. And then when we uh, had the Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas mystery podcast, you were performing burlesque in a, um, in a, in a uh, theater in Coney Island. And then last year in the Central Park Zoo, you were trapped in a snow leopard cage. But this year, you were dressed as a pirate and you were in a pirate ship. And it's hard to believe this, but you said you didn't even like my baking. I mean, all those are pretty far-fetched scenarios. I can't believe anything would be true. Oh, well, you know how I always could say something about your baking because the last time you came to visit, you made those brownies. And they were so hard and crisp, we could hardly chew them. And on top of it all, you put kale in them. Who likes kale? Mom, I thought when you <laughs> told me the one thing I do right is get the temperature of the oven, that was a joke. That's a real, I can't believe that's real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the top well, 20 and I don't make a good brownie. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, that every year that we do this podcast and you play along and you're such a good sport, we're raising awareness for diabetes in a fun new way, and I love that about that. And, you know, I did want to – I'm so glad you could join us tonight because, as I mentioned to Patricia a little bit earlier, and we'll bring her back on, uh, we didn't get to see each other. We're taking this COVID thing uh, and the health risk very seriously, and we're urging our listeners to do the same. How, how have you been handling uh, life through COVID? Well, I, uh, I've been very fortunate to have been able to stay home. I am home as much as I can. Fortunately, I'm in pretty good health. So um, I feel, as I said, very fortunate to have a nice warm home to be in and food on the table. And I just um, I wish everybody could be like that, but I know there are so many people, like Patricia said, who are have difficult times right now um so um i think i've been handling it pretty well but i certainly wish that uh, we would get over this uh, i know it will take time but i um give my sympathy to all the people who are having a difficult time and especially those who have lost members of their family due to covid I agree. And Patricia, we'll let you have the last word with a holiday message before we close out the show with some more Eric Connick Jr. Well, I would just like to say that we should all just enjoy the life that we have and treasure those that are near and dear to us. And if we're not able to mingle or congregate the way that we are accustomed to, we can still have a Merry Christmas, even if we have to do it in a virtual way. We can do the Zoom parties. We can do uh, a telephone call. 
we can do a lot of different things to let our loved ones know that we are still reaching out and we love them. And hopefully next Christmas will be a little less restricted than this one. So we want to be alive to see next Christmas, so we have to take precautions right now. And I want to be alive so I can serve the two of you my brownies with kale on that flight <laughs> to Tanzania. In the meantime, I want to thank all my guests tonight for tuning in. Don't miss Diva Bedek's Diabetes Late Night Podcast coming back in January. And visit Diva Beck's Facebook pages and Diva, Mr. Diva Beck's YouTube channels. Right now we're going to play our final song, courtesy of Sony Music. Here's Harry Connick Jr. with George Jones singing Nothing New for New Year's. Uh, remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy, stay healthy together, and hear some great music. Let's listen. I see my own reflection in the window. I hear the people carrying on below. I know the one I love is out there somewhere. To me, that somewhere's not that far to go. I make my resolution To find my love And make her all my own But it looks like She decided Not to show again And I'll be singing Always I know People grow accustomed to their lifestyle It's easier to settle in your way I wish that I had someone to get used to To settle down until my Dying day Nothing new For a new year For me Nothing new For a new year For me All I wanted Was an angel That I don't expect To see Nothing new for New Year for me. Well, it's all.